1: Anyway, listen to
0: our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. (laughs) Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Chicago everywhere, check
1: it. It's it, it. not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full
0: Go. The Full Go podcast. The Full Go. Bears. Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the full go. Love the full go. With the me. full go. The full go. Welcome to a Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm, about. what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to the Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by the Ringer, a Spotify original.
1: Yeah. Hey.
0: Thursday, I had a, a solo adventure. Yeah, what happened? So I was, uh forgot where I wound up going, but I wound up just kind of That's like- That's a good start. I, <laughs> I forgot where I started, <laughs> I should say. But I remember I was talking to my friends and they were like, go find the secret pizza spot at Cosmo. So I was like, mm. all right, Ben. So I spent like a good 10, 15 minutes looking on the casino floor for it because I know it's, like, down a hallway. And mm. then I couldn't find it, so I <laughs> gave up and I Googled it. Okay. And I found I was on the third floor. Mm. And then I go to the third floor, and there's a long ass line. But I had nothing else to do, so I waited. Ah, <laughs> uh, the shit that Vegas will make you do. Really? Hey, I was alone. <laughs> I had my AirPods on, so I had music. Yeah. I was yeah, on a good buzz. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, yeah, hey, I, I want a pizza. So hey, I, dude,
1: I I got a sandwich, back pizza in my room. About,
0: mm-hmm. Yes, it's whatever man, you need. Y- do y'all know how weird it was to walk into a conversation about a secret pizza place? I'm thinking my man's looking for a pedophiles. Oh, see yeah, there <laughs> it is, there it, is. There it, is. There it is, There it is, and, 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 and then the, the QAnon conspiracy theorist <laughs> Tony Gill is now into the chat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what is this episode 125? I think 125. This is? 125. 125. All right, man, Vegas. <laughs> Vegas will do some things to you, man. I have yeah. uh, I have enjoyed. But it was funny. Many, I think you would enjoy. It. You should come out uh, next year if we go out again. So summer league has turned into pre All Star weekend. Yeah. Oh, like, I think it's better. Yeah. Well, now that all thirty teams are there, now that, you know everybody in the league is there. You got people setting up shop. I saw my man Big Wise out there. Right? Yeah, I was like, with him on Saturday and nice. Yeah, it was it Sunday or Saturday. Sa- Sunday sunday yeah vegas vegas has caught me in very um different times in my life all for work um this was my man. first work trip for vegas yeah? yeah yeah i think the first work trip i had for vegas was covering the winky wright shane mosley uh title fight I was, I was like 22 something like that i don't I forget which year that happened but that was man fight night vegas at the energy oh my god I uh I ended up uh hanging out with a uh former number 1 picks niece that uh that evening and uh didn't get a chance to make it to the fight. Uh Joe Smith? <laughs> we ain't doing that. We ain't going to name no names. Uh <laughs> Similar career though. Similar career to one Joe Smith. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to uh shout out to Rosie. No doubt about it. Yeah. Found out she was an FBI agent uh after the our interaction. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like waking up and seeing a gun right there on the nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, am I about to get stuck up in Vegas in my first time out here? <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> I would have paid if this is what, you know, the cost was. <laughs> yeah, man. Vegas would do a T. Vegas would do a T. Shout out to uh Vegas Knights. And Vegas mornings. I remember the first Final Four trip we took out there to uh, Vegas as a, as a group the fellas. Uh, we partied and did the dummy because we wanted to, hey, let's be up when the sports books open up at 6 so we could place these bets. There's going to be long lines and all this other stuff. Man, we partied till about 3.30, and our dumbasses looked around at each other like, we can make it to 6. Boy, was that a bad idea. The rest of the day was shot. Like we were, well, I know I was in bed, but, you know, shout out to Lacey's for rejuvenating my spirit and getting me back into the mode that I needed to be in. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never been to heaven on earth in Vegas, I don't even know. I don't think it's still uh, open, but um, I think it's like it is a little it's a little establishment for for uh, people out there who are um, connoisseurs of the performing arts. So to speak, uh, there's, there's, like the big ass white joint called like Palermos or, so I, I think it's Palermos or something with a P. And then like the little corner door is Lacey's. And when I tell y'all, I lived in Atlanta for two years. Okay. So, you know, Onyx, Kamal's, Magic City, whatever, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to do, Follies. I was never really a big fan of Follies like that. Um, I know my guys were. My guys are huge fans of Follies. I think I wasn't a uh, Follies broke as hell one night and I was like, oh, I don't wanna be here. And I think that's it, because being in the GC broke is just what you talk about, it's it's a depressing place sometimes when you got all the dough. But when you have no money, <laughs> I'll never forget I looked at my man George, and this is when I first got down there and I was like, Hey man, I'm I'm piecing it together down here. And but at that time I was, you know making decent money, but, you know, you, you know, not not enough to feel as comfortable as you wanted to feel in the club, man. Not enough to make man. it rain. See, and that's the thing. I've never been a make it rain guy. Never been a make it rain guy. Let's make this a more personal experience. You feel that's me? That's why make <laughs> it rain for yourself. Yeah. It, I mean, on multiple else. Yeah. <laughs> that too, you know, that that's the <laughs> sentiment as well. <laughs> but, yeah, man. It, uh, it's too much of a free-for-all like I, I, what what are the rules what are the like what are the I don't, rules the, in the yeah part? like I, um, I mean i don't what is be this? tipping <laughs> like you don't <laughs> want to be you That's a big want to be, one. Yeah, uh, you know the weirdos. Here's, here's a dollar, young lady. Thank you. But you, you got to be careful. You got to be careful though because you get the the weirdos who don't who weren't raised in proper gentleman's club etiquette, which is you see these dudes who are balling up ones and throwing them at the ladies and like, "Oh, you you this is this is your only interaction with a woman, isn't it?" This is this is unfortunate. Like I've always and my guys are probably thinking I'm weird for this, but like I've always bought dances and stuff for my friends. Like, it never really, you know, like I always wanted my my boys to have a good time, right? So I was never a guy that was like, all right, it's going to be me, and it's going to be you for two hours and don't move. You know what I mean? Like, go enjoy yourself. Like, that's, Atlanta really took the stigma away uh, when it comes to gentlemen's clubs for me. Because one, that was like the club. Like that was where men and women alike went. And that's where all the new music was broken. That's where the vibes were. I mean, you had people in there who were like, you know, Sunday school teachers and and, and and doctors and nurses, like, you know, trap, you know, all the, everybody trapping, right? You got all the dope boys. You got all the entertainers. You got all the, I'll never forget. And I won't mention his name. So the final four was in Atlanta. The The last year I was in Atlanta. And um, it was it was the, the year that I got a chance to do the Kenny Anderson interview, which is one of the better interviews that I've ever been a part of, because Kenny just pulled up and he's always one of my favorite players as a kid. But he just pulled up. He's walking around uh, one of these sports bars, I believe it was his name named Stats. And we were doing a remote and Kenny was just walking around. Nobody's talking to Kenny Anderson. I'm like, that is New York City point guard legend. Kenny Anderson, right? Georgia Tech legend, Kenny Anderson. Like, New Jersey Nets legend, Kenny Anderson. You got to sit down. And we sat down and talked. And, man, it was one of the best conversations I've ever had. And everybody was around, obviously, for Final Four weekend. And I walk into the spot, and and you—and this is different, you know. (laughs) This isn't the sports bar anymore. I walk into the spot, and I see— you know all pro wide receivers I the first time I had ever seen Future was at uh was at was that Onyx or was that Magic City That was it was Onyx it was Onyx yeah and he just like walked in casually and Young Dro was in the corner in an all brown polo outfit I'm like so this is Atlanta okay all right this is this is what it is and I learned I mean I had been around these clubs before but I learned what the culture was in terms of there wasn't the the jaded viewpoint of sex workers right like here in the midwest and certain spots you know you, you you're a dancer or you're a stripper you know, and it's like no 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 they they they're performers just like anybody else and they're professionals hell just like anybody else and, and you know until you've gone to magic city and seen a snack pack you you have uh <laughs> you have not lived you kidding me I how guess, like how the wings sir, jason the wings were amazing. Kidding me? Shout out to Cheetahs. All right? Shared a, shared a, Cheetahs shared a kitchen with a five-star restaurant. Right? So it's like it was, the food's coming out the same kitchen, <laughs> but just going to the left or going to the right. And that was when I first learned that you guys, oh, you're eating the strip. Because, of course, it's like, oh, y'all going to have that and that next to the food? Like Something's <laughs> got to be wrong here, right? Like, oh, that's why those wings are so crunchy. You know, that kind of vibe. <laughs> but nah, nah. They take care. Of you. They shout out to Atlanta to 22 of the greatest months of my life and worst months of my life, all all uh, rolled into one. Yeah, that's quite the uh, that's quite the start to the pod. I did not expect that to be the case, but shout out to Jesse wandering around Vegas <laughs> looking for some sustenance. You know, yeah, I, I can dig it. I can dig it. The full goal with Jason Golf. Hey, it's Len Casper, the radio voice of the White Sox. You're listening to the Full Go with Jason Goff. Now, to more depressing news, which is Chicago baseball. Um, you know, the White Sox need to let Tony La Russa go, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here for Tony La legacy. which could already be tarnished or whatever that may be, you know, but I don't see this thing turning around with his direction. It might be in spite of his direction. It might be, you know, the old major league thing where they're all looking at the manager or looking at the the front office. Like, yeah, we win in spite of them, screw the front office. Sometimes that works. Or screw the manager. Sometimes that works. I don't know if it's going to work. There's too much going on with this team. You've got Kenny Williams coming in and speaking to uh, the ball club about their listless, dead-ass play as of late, making sure that everybody, staff, team workers, everybody, coaches, players, managers, everybody knows that they're accountable. And apparently, there's, um, there's not apparently, but there's some rumors that this was said to the team right before they announced to the team that Tim Anderson would be the starting shortstop for the All-Star game. And everybody was kind of putting the video from the year before and this year's video side-by-side side and judging how listless and lifeless this team has been. Well, guess what? When you've got the President of Baseball Operations, I believe that's his, his title, if I'm not mistaken, right? I, I believe Rick Kahn's a VP. Um, you've got the President of Baseball Operations coming in there saying, hey, this is this is unacceptable, and the way that Kenny Williams talks, I can only imagine how stern and how, you know, straight to the point and how father, figurely if that's a word, that he delivered that message um, with Lance Lynn and his struggles since he's been back. By the way, he's the executive vice president, so he's the EVP. He's got he's got. Three letters in front of his name, and Rick Hahn is just the GM. Apparently, they've they've stripped him of any of any flowery title, and you're just the general manager, generally managing things. Uh, but man, Lance Lynn, Tim Anderson, you know Yasmani Grandal, who is still on the mend, uh, Joe Kelly. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't get to Kendall Graveman, and when you do get to Kendall Graveman, you know it's a, it's a sight to see because you, you've got. Pitchers who are going deep in ball games. Uh this this thing this thing is not only feeling rotten, it's acting rotten. Right? Like you're usually the last one to know that you've lost your integrity, right? This team is moving around as if things are okay, as if um, as if this substandard baseball is somehow magically gonna turn itself around. The reason why the White Sox are below average to average at best is surely on talent because once or twice a game, they do something stupid. Uh, and this this latest instance comes from the way they pitch Jose Ramirez. The, Jose Ramirez, uh, not, not in the second game of the doubleheader, but Jose Ramirez is a guy who's one of the six or seven best hitters, damn near players in the MLB, right? You have been tattooed by this man over the last couple of years. And your scouting report going into a game with a young pitcher and Davis Martin is, hey, pitch around him. Well, guess what you don't do? First at bat, you kind of nibble a little bit, and he gets a single off you. Then second at bat, you throw him a strike, and then you intentionally walk him. And Tony LaRusso's explanation was both at bats they were trying to Pitch around him. Well, guess what? You do that with a guy who isn't a young pitcher, maybe, right? You do that with a guy who's got control, command, and confidence in his stuff more so than a guy who's trying to impress everybody on the team, including show himself what he's made of. You do that with, uh, you know, the the aces of yesteryear, and you know the Roy Holliday's of the world, and the Cliff Lees of the world, and the Corey Klubbers of the world. You don't do that with a young pitcher trying to figure out what his lot in baseball life is going to be. And if you do do it, you kind of bail him out a little bit better, right? You you, you don't say, yeah, you know, that was on him. I told him to do this and he didn't do it. No, you say, hey, that was on me. I need to make better decisions. We probably should have intentionally walked him in the beginning. Like little things like this. He has now had intentional walks in counts that Major League Baseball has never seen. And he's done it twice in the same year. Like if you want to do all the ages stuff and say that oh you shouldn't be guess what at some point some of that has to matter some of it has to matter you don't get to keep playing baseball because you were good at it at some point the game ushers your ass out maybe the game ushered Tony La out and this is what was most striking to me because as you guys know I'm uh, I'm an employee at NBC Sports Chicago and y'all know that the teams are. Uh, part owners of the broadcast entity that is NBC Sports Chicago. I have once, once had someone from the team say to me, hey, went kind of hard. And I laid out exactly what my argument was, exactly what I was saying, and I echoed the coach's sentiments from the postgame. And they were like, you know what? You're right. My bad. And that was it. (laughs) One time in three years. And I go I go as hard as I think is necessary. You feel me? When the baseball side of that comes up and you're talking about Ozzie Guillen and Frank Thomas, you're talking about guys who got skins on the wall. You're talking about World Series champions. You're talking about one of the greatest right-hand hitters, one of the greatest hitters in baseball history and definitely one of the greatest hitters of his generation And Frank Thomas. You got Scott Putsednik, who also was a pivotal piece in a White Sox World Series winning team. These are dudes who understand what it takes and know what it looks like when a team is playing their asses off, when a team is fighting through losing. Because that's the other thing, too. There's this real lazy sentiment of, well, you know, if you're not hitting, that's exactly what it's going to look like. Or when you're not picking up the ball, that's what it's going to look like. You guys aren't going to be cheery in the dugout. Nah, you've seen teams fight through talentlessness or fight through losing. You've seen them like, okay, this team, you know, they they just go and put a big number up on somebody and get it going. The White Sox score double digits runs, and every time they do that, they they spit the bit. The next game or so offensively, this team for whatever reason is it focused? If they are clicks, there's clicks on every single baseball team. So what are the clicks doing on this team that aren't getting it done? Like what what what's really happening here? Okay, if it's personal issues with guys and their and in their home lives, well, guess what? That the Guardians don't care. The Twins don't care. We've seen it happen in this city before where guys have been mired in season-long struggles because of stuff that's going on at home. And far be it from me, uh, far, far be it from me to not empathize with, hey, man, people don't give a damn. They want to hear this show. (laughs) People don't give a damn. They want to see the show. People don't give a damn. They want to feel the show. At some point, Y'all got to strap up and show me who you really are. And that's the problem. They are showing us who they really are and including the manager. But the issue is, do you really want to fix this now? And how bad do you want to fix it? And does firing Tony La Russa fix it? Does firing Tony La Russa stop getting guys picked off? Maybe. Maybe if guys understand that they ain't playing for the next day or two, no matter what your name is. Maybe that embarrassment will get you back into being back on your square, the the right way, the baseball way, doing things the right. You know, and and this is the the issue that I think this White Sox team is walking into. This White Sox team culturally had a very very huge opportunity to not only quote change the game, but also fortify that you know what you could be this swaggerific, and you could you could talk that shit. And you can move with the kind of tenor that they move with, because they 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 write in checks that they play can cash. But when you don't, when you don't, I'm surprised. Maybe and maybe I'm not listening to the right, you know, platforms or listening to the right networks or listening to the right conversations. But I'm surprised that all that changed the game and all that swagger and all that chain gang shit that I was talking, I'm surprised it hasn't come back to bite them a lot more than it, than it has. People are so, so apathetic about this team that they're not even complaining with the, the, the ferocity that I expect. And, and far be it for me to make y'all summers any worse than it has to be. Like, if you don't want to complain about the White Sox, please believe me, I understand. But if Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are pressing alarm bells because Kenny Williams doesn't walk into a clubhouse if everything is okay. That's the, that, like, there are certain, y- y'all know it out there. You know, you, we've all been in relationships, whether it's with your guy or with your girl or both of them, whatever the case may be. We all know the buttons we could press. and We know how many times we could press them. Everybody's got that one button. You're like, ooh. I've been waiting to dance on this button, but it ain't the time. It ain't the time. It ain't the time. When is the time? though? When is the time for J.R. When is the time for Rick Khan? And, and I, I, I'm I hesitant to say when is the time for Rick Khan? because, and this is no shade to Rick, I don't know how much power he has to pull off a move to change the direction of this team. Thank God for Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease goes out there, gets nine strikeouts, three walks against Josh Naylor and this Cleveland Guardians offense, right, to split the doubleheader. The White Sox are in the same position they were in a month ago. Damn near. Maybe a half a game difference, if that. So for a month, they've been treading water. And guess what we said a month ago? All right, bats going to heat up. You guys done playing the AL East, getting ready to play some division opponents. Ah, the Twins can't pitch. The Guardians, you know, they, they, they're okay. Terry is going to manage his ass off. But other than that, you know, they got some, they got some good players. Don't get me wrong. And Shane Bieber went out there and made short work of it. That man was pitching like he was double parked. Two hours and nine minutes, two hours and 10 minutes. Shut your ass down. Complete game style. And you're begging pitchers to get to the sixth inning? Someone to beat a bridge to, to Kendall Graveman and, and Liam Hendricks? The way this team was put together, it was supposed to be able to withstand certain injuries. It hasn't been able to withstand certain injuries. The way this team was put together, they were going to fight you tooth and nail, whether it be in a cornfield in Iowa or on the south side of Chicago or in Minneapolis. The way this team was put together, we were told, "Shut your ass up. Second base and right field going to figure itself out. We got what we need." So far, the way this team has been put together, all three of those questions had been answered with a resounding thud. Not just a thud, but damn near a dud. And now Steve Stone and Jason Benetti and people who can't really cover their eyes or hold their nose anymore are calling things out the way they see them. Whether it be you intentionally walking Jose Ramirez with an 0-1 count in the second at bat when you should have done it in the first one and both outcomes still being damaging, whether it be your best players getting caught off base, whether it be you worrying about what's happening in other dugouts, what's happening with other teams. Like, these things don't happen to teams who are focused, who are together, who are playing good baseball. I I got no problem with you losing, but the way they've lost for a couple of months in a row now, the things that they have done to shoot themselves in the foot, at some point, if you're Tony LaRusso, I won't say the prize got to take over, but you're still Tony LaRusso, <laughs> right? Like, people still respect you. 10 years out of the game, you had so much respect that a team offered you one of 30 jobs in the world. So, at what point does Tony LaRusso say, you know what? It's, maybe it's me, y'all. <laughs> at what point does that self inventory take over? Maybe it's me. And for the dude who's my, my good buddy, who got so upset that he when he fired me that he brought me back after a decade leave from the position? At what point do you do that solid for your homeboy? I'm like, you know what, man? That, it ain't working with me. And I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> Being 77 and dwindling away watching this product, I can't imagine it's fun. I can't imagine it. And if there are cliques and posses and all the other shit that people want to throw out now, and I got no reason to not believe it because we've got no answers, really, no no valid answers, no answers that we're going to be able to, to say, okay, this is why, this is why, this is why. Maybe you can't tell us, and maybe these reports are true, and maybe that's why people are leaning on it too heavy now. But in the end, the White Sox disappoint there are a few players who I, I I would pay money to see. And those are the players that are keeping this thing afloat. Lucas Giolito coming up next. Hey, guess what? You got to start stringing some starts together, fam. <laughs> Simple as that. Lance Lynn, you know, I, I'm a big Lance Lynn fan, but you knowing Tony La Russa and, and, and being a, the, the cursing bulldog, well, guess what? That's not working so much this year. You feel me? Like, Guys got to tighten up. This season is halfway over. We are talking about the all-star right now. And whether you're buyers or sellers, whatever the case may be, or you're standing back because you're ready to run this thing back, uh, you are going to be doing it in front of 15, 17, 19,000 people on hot summer days in the city of Chicago. Because this team is underwhelmed. It's been... um, Disappointing to watch. It's been uh, Jason Benetti and Steve Stone are these the sole reason this last? I, I'm not gonna bullshit y'all. Last couple of weeks that I've been watching White Sox baseball, the sole reason. Switch over to the Cubs. Check out my man Nico Horner. Right, see Ian Happ hit a launch one in the first inning. Like, oh, look at that! This is one of Ian Happ's last home runs is a Chicago Cup. Right, like what? What? What is my summer? What is our summer? Right. White Sox and Cubs are the soundtrack to your summer. For how long now? And how long has this soundtrack been? (sighs) What are we doing here? I'm not going to sit here and continue to watch bad baseball and then come in here and act like something different is happening. If the White Sox want to turn this thing around, it seems like a, a move has to be made. I just don't know if that move will be made, can be made, or, frankly, if they want to make it. I don't know what the White Sox are right now. They're a talented group of players, uh, a collection of dudes that seemingly everyone was getting ready to fall in love with last year going forward. And now, a year, what, a half a year later, we're, we're talking about a manager who seems like he's in over his head, which is something that we never thought we would say about Tony La Russa. We're talking about star players who aren't carrying their weight, or who are part of the fundamental issues that you have baseball-wise. And we're talking about a fan base now who is growing more and more apathetic by the day. Training camp's around the corner. <laughs> for, for basketball, training camp is happening. Football, I mean, the, the Sky are playing. Like, there's, there's options. This is the city of Chicago. And the last thing that this team needs to or wanted to do was let go of the stranglehold that they projected that they were going to have for years to come. like There's money that was already being spent probably on the South Side in terms of, okay, this team's going to get going here. We're going to have four or five guys that people could bank on being the, the the pillars of this franchise. We got three or four pitchers in the starting rotation. We got a damn good closer. We went out and get Ken- Kendall Graven. You go out and get Joe Kelly. You go out and make the moves that you think that that not only are going to win the American League Central, but damn near win the American League. White Sox should be better than this. And they've got the all-star break coming up here after this Guardians and Twin Series. They got the all-star break here to figure out what the hell they are. I think we do know what they are. They got the all-star break to figure out what they can be, more important. We don't really do the jazzy intros on this thing. We just start recording. And I will say this. I am so happy that you could join me because for the people who don't know, I have actually talked to Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, senior writer for The Athletic, by the way, Uh, before in my Big Ten radio days when Anthony Heron would call in a favor. Next thing you know, Nicole would pop up at like 6.15 in the morning to be talking to me, Anthony Heron, and maybe five or six listeners out there. So now, hopefully we've spread that net to maybe catch 10 or 15 listeners of the pod. Nicole Auerbach joining us here. Nicole, I'm so happy to talk to you because I have no idea what's happening with the conference that I grew up watching. Like... USC and UCLA being a part of the Big Ten. I remember when Rutgers and Nebraska was a thing. It was like, hey, guys, we're getting a little little weird out here. What's happening? And now what seems like a decade ago conversation is finally coming into form in terms of mega conferences and the steps now that UCLA and USC and Oklahoma and Texas have taken. Where is college football going and who benefits the most in the Big Ten from this new era that we're walking into?
1: Yeah, well, well, I'm with you. First of all, I mean, it's going to take me a while to get used <laughs> to like L.A. being in the Big Ten footprint. <laughs> right. um, I've already been making lots of jokes about travel expenses and trips um, for our beat writers. Like we, my friend Audrey Snyder covers Penn State. I'm like, that is going to be quite the trek to get from state college to L.A. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I think that everyone in the Big Ten ultimately benefits. I mean, we 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 can talk about this for sure about like the travel and especially Olympic sports. I mean, this is not just a football only move, but it's obvious that this is going to bring in a lot of money for the Big Ten. They were already going to bring in a lot of money and we're waiting on this new media deal to be announced so that we actually see you know which networks, which partners um, and also you know what the dollar figure is but but you know that getting the LA markets and getting USC and UCLA as brands is going to increase that. And so you know we were already I had you know friends at a, a navigate a research firm, Crunch the numbers well before USC and UCLA were set to join the Big Ten. And they had projections saying that Big Ten schools were going to get over $100 million per school per year in media rights payouts projected by the end of the decade. So that was before you add the LA schools and that market. So that number is going to go up, obviously. And that whole conference is going to benefit from that. And I, I think, you know, we've seen so much anxiety from... Schools and fan bases and coaches in leagues that are not the Big Ten, the SEC, and and it it seems very fair because the money is going to drastically change by the end of the decade, and those two conferences are going to be paying out so much more per school. I mean, in those projections from a few months ago, with USC, UCLA in the league, the Pac-12 was still projected to make like forty million dollars less per school per year by the end of the decade. I mean, that is a drastic difference, and I, I think USC and UCLA. I said it pretty clearly when they announced their move that this was about, A, stability. People don't leave the Big Ten. But also, you know that you'll be able to bring in the money to pay for competing at the highest level. Like, you'll compete for national championships because you know you're going to have the money to invest in the resources and the salaries and all the things that you need to, to do that.
0: What? kind of started these dominoes to falling? Is it the fact that the Big Ten and Pac-12 felt like they were getting edged out of these, you know, these semifinal and Final Four situations where every time you looked up, you saw two or three SEC schools and maybe one Big 12 school? Uh, Is it the movement of Oklahoma and Texas? Like what, how does this thing start to where now Kevin Warren is looking at a 16-team conference?
1: Well, I, I think that if you look over the course of different moves in, in college sports history, um, you know, there were certain priorities at different phases, but also the idea that, you know, heading into a media rights negotiation is a time to evaluate like where you are. And the SEC moving to add Oklahoma and Texas, uh, certainly sparked this. I mean, it sparked an entire round of realignment last year. This affected every level of Division One. We've actually even seen schools move up to Division One to backfill some of the other conferences that lost people. Um, you know, you saw the American schools move, a lot of movement in the Sun Belts. So like, we've had this whole round. And the Big Ten didn't move last year. I mean, we, we've we all kind of made fun of or, or poked fun at the Alliance because mm-hmm. that was created a handshake agreement. But part of the reason that they did that was to essentially say, we're not going to poach each other's schools. Like, we're not going to we're going to try to stabilize college sports and not have this frenzy. Now we know that the big 10 also formed an expansion group internally and was evaluating potential prospects so that if something came along, they'd be able to move quickly on it. And I, I, again, I think this, this makes a lot of sense that the big 10 acted in response to, to Oklahoma and Texas, because, they didn't last year and everyone had wondered, you know, why is Big Ten aligning with the ACC and the Pac-12 who they need strength in numbers. They need the support of the Big Ten. But the Big Ten can stand alone. The Big Ten can come right back at the SEC. I mean, these two conferences are at a different level than everyone else. So this move is a power move. It, I think it's ultimately a bigger move than adding Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC because you're going across conferences. Now you're, you're truly national conference going from LA to New York. And it's USC. But, you know, that move stunned everyone because it came after a period of relative calm. This, there, there was a lull, right? We, again, we went, the dominoes all fell all the way down. And then this happens and, you know, potentially gets, you know, another round of realignment going, or at least creates that that anxiety um, and the panics and the fear and the distrust and all of that that we had last year as well. So... It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out in terms of you know the power moves and, and the dynamics in these commissioner rooms because as we know, college sports does not have a Czar. It does not have a, you know a, a commissioner for the college football or college basketball. There's so much already decentralized power and decisions get made at the commissioner level or those commissioners sit in a room together and try to do the college football playoff expansion and didn't get there last year. Um, so there's there's a lot of power in in now obviously there already was in the SEC and and the Big Ten but this just even creates more of an imbalance in, in those in those rooms
0: So when we're talking about the rooms of these president's boards and these committees and these chairs the the academic, Piece of this is very important. And when you look at UCLA and USC, I think that they can look at their presidents who don't give a damn about the Olympic sports or football or whatever the case may be and say, we're going into a commerce that that still values academics at a high level in the Big Ten. That's one of the Big Ten's calling cards. What happens when five, 10 years down the road, this thing becomes an arms race for other schools and the revenue that the TV networks are providing, obviously you want more eyes, you want more national, more of a national footprint. What happens when you have to start? Because I start to think about Duke basketball, where there was a time where Duke basketball wasn't, wasn't talking to your one and dunce, right? That's, that's what Kentucky does. That's what the other school will do. And then you, all of a sudden you had to keep up. And you had to start recruiting the Jabari Parkers of the world and people that you knew were only going to be on your campus for one year. Do you think that there is any sort of, I don't want to say slippery slope because USC and UCLA aren't cases of this, but do you think that there will be so much of an arms race to try to gather teams in these mega conferences that at some point you're going to have to start explaining to these university presidents who don't give a damn about football that, yeah, we're going to have to start to talk about standards here a little bit more?
1: So, with the caveat that obviously these leagues could continue to expand and and on their own timelines, we're not really sure. But again, a lot of people don't think that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to stay at 16 forever. <laughs> I, I think that the most important thing to think about, because I, I know everyone loves to kind of, you know, okay, these four schools can go to the Big Ten, these four can go to the SEC, and this is how you know you break it down and create these mega conferences. But the dollar figures that we're talking about, like $100 million per year, payouts means that anyone you add needs to be worth at least $100 million per year. Because otherwise, your existing members are going to make less money. And so you're adding for the sake of adding, but you're not adding enough value. And so that's really where this comes down to when you're talking about it at that level in this round of realignment. Um, I remember trying to explain this to people so many times last year when people were wondering, "Oh, is Pac-12 just going to take like half of the existing Big 12? And I'm like, well, how much money are each individual school going? Because you're dividing the pie by extra slices every time you add someone. So I think that's just important to remember because that will stave off some of this. I mean, I think there's short lists of schools that we know create, you know, exceptional value. And those are the schools that we're talking about. The Notre Dames, Oregon, maybe FSU, Clemson. Again, the ACC has a grant of rights. So there's contractual issues about trying to go after ACC schools. But that's just something that will ultimately keep people where they are or at least not create a frenzy where we're talking about like a 30-team league right now because you're still trying to hit certain dollar figures. You're still trying to bring a certain amount of value because you don't, you can't have your own existing members take a pay cut just to have a bigger number. So like if the SEC is going after a school that the Big Ten is interested in, that could create movement. But that's not what we're talking about here, where people are just like kind of scribbling on napkins. Um, I, I think that the academic point is a really good one. And this is something that I've, I've always said when people want to talk about the Big Ten adding schools. First thing you need to do is Google and see if there are an AAU school. An AAU designation is an academic research institution designation. It's like the best research universities in the school. And every school in the Big Ten is an AAU school except Nebraska, but Nebraska was when they got added. So that accreditation fell off since they've been in the Big Ten, which is a sore subject in the Big Ten. So like when you're looking at potential schools, I mean, we talk about fit, we talk about all those things. But that's something that those presidents who have to sign off on these moves are going to look at. So. Um, you are gonna talk about like that that's not gonna change. I mean, I I could see them maybe going for, you know, again, a high academic school, it's not technically that classification, but that's where you gotta start when you're talking about where could they go from here is looking at those types of schools. And that's why you have, you know, like the North Carolinas and places on that list. Um, but you know, it's it's gonna be really interesting because I think you could also go a few steps from here and say, okay, you know, does this eventually end up like an AFC NFC situation where you have two leagues and the champions play each other for a championship. Um, we're, we're steps away from that, but but we're certainly headed in that direction when you have two conferences that are growing that are head and shoulders above everybody else.
0: You mentioned FSU, you mentioned Clemson, and the grant of rights thing that you hit me to. I, I'm definitely going to look into the Notre Dame piece. Uh, since I was a child watching late 80s, early 90s college football, I, I grew up a Michigan fan. So, Michigan Notre Dame was, it meant something to me. And they had their own network, and, and they still have their own network, and a couple of games, obviously, on ESPN and ABC or Disney um, entities would the Big 10 just be fighting against the TV money and their own network and the identity that Notre Dame has created over I, I low these many decades what what is the what is the last ditch effort to try to make sure that Notre Dame football stays independent if you are a Notre Dame fan or if you are part of the faction that wants Notre Dame to stay independent because if you're looking around there's there's oh, a bunch of money out there and all these other schools who don't have the quite the heritage that this Midwestern school has is still staying independent.
1: Right. I mean, I I think the idea, the heritage, like the importance to Notre Dame as a school, as an athletic department, fan base, like is very important because they could make more money if they're in a conference, but they value the independence. And so like the two things to me that if they get affected, they would be inclined to join a conference. One is they can schedule who they want when they want. So they have a national schedule. They can play all of these traditional rivalries USC now and member of the Big Ten but like there's certain games that are very important to them but they're able to schedule those games right now and they have no ac- no no issue accessing the college football playoff. So as long as they can access whatever the postseason event is and they can schedule who they want, there's no impetus to join a conference now if you're worried that there are going to be mega conferences and that you're going to be squeezed out where like you may not be able to schedule the way that you want. You know, if, if those leagues go to, let's let's say, hypothetically 10 conference games, there's less opportunities for you to play. Fewer Saturdays that are open for those teams. And if you really need to play USC, you really want to play Michigan or Michigan State annually or whatever those, those games are, um, that could become more challenging or in, in a different playoff format, do you not have as much access? Obviously, Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, was on the playoff selection committee. So part of the benefit of that proposal last year, the 12-team model, was that there were six at large spots. Notre Dame was never going to have a problem making the playoff. And I, I think that that was a really important piece because, if again, there's two things, two pillars to this. Um, and if one of them is is in the clear, you're fine. And you don't have to worry about that and just scheduling. But if you're worried about, you know, is this the wrong time to be on an island as, as, as people are moving more and more towards the Big Ten and the SEC, that could change some things. If, again... You decide you do need more money. That could change some things. But really, I think it's about schedule and access to the postseason. So those are the things to keep an eye on as we, you know, kind of wait and see if this is going to be the move that ultimately gets Notre Dame to join a conference.
0: What's the next big school or a couple of big schools you think getting ready to jump into one of these mega conferences?
1: Well, again, I think, so I think Notre Dame is, is...
0: That's the next one?
1: Well, Notre Dame is the question, right? You, you, are they going to? Um, I think if they called the Big Ten and said, hey, we're in, th- that'll happen in a week, right? Like right, that, that, right. that's someone they've vetted, it's someone they right. want, it's someone that fits. And now the Big Ten is a national conference going from LA to New York. It's not the Midwestern League that they've always said that they're not interested in joining. But you also have contractual issues with the ACC. So a lot of people are pointing to ACC schools. Like we you know, mentioned FSU, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, Virginia even. I mean, there's there's certainly appealing schools in this league, but they have a grant of rights. And so this was signed and then extended. But it goes the length of their media deal, which goes until 2036. So I've seen a lot of hand-waving of people being like, well, they can get out of that. And college sports like does let people out of contracts in a way that other businesses don't, right? Buyouts, coaches, right. games, get bought out. Um, but I mean, I think what's happening now is you have a lot of lawyers looking at this grant of rights and seeing how rock solid it is. If if you paid an astronomical amount of money, could you still get out of it? Because technically the league owns the rights of those schools. So there's a lot of complicated factors there. Like the reason this thing was implemented was so that people could not leave. This was after Maryland left for the Big Ten. And the idea is to not let people jump ship so easily. So that's going to be a really fascinating, uh, dynamic to keep an eye on and again i think some people have been hand waving it too too quickly that it's easy to get out of or it's possible to get out of and we haven't seen anyone challenge it we haven't seen you know uh, someone sue you know we haven't seen someone try to b- get by themselves out but could we see that maybe um do we see the big 12 big 12 wants to be an aggressor do they ultimately end up adding the the arizona schools and the utah and colorado what happens with Oregon and Washington? Do they stay, recommit to the PAC, now Pac-10? <laughs> um, do they do they try to keep their options open? Because if the Big Ten, you know, if, no, if Notre Dame's not interested in joining a league, do they then look at Oregon and Washington, right? Like there's so many moving pieces here. And I don't think anyone needs to react in a knee-jerk way. And Probably a lot of this stuff about who brings value and who doesn't is something that they've been exploring for the last 11 months because again, Texas and Oklahoma started this and that was 11 months ago. But I I think, um, so I don't know exactly where it's going to come, but I think that there's a lot of different angles that are really interesting that could really impact things. And then obviously there is the option that the Big Ten and SEC do stay put at 16 for a little bit. The Pac-12 schools recommit to each other and everyone kind of exhales for a minute. Uh, so that's also a possibility. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see who ends up moving in this phase. And, you know, the Pac 12 has meteorites that they, you know, a meteorite steal coming up. Big 12 is after them. So there's like a lot of moving pieces here, um, weeks, months, years to come.
0: Last thing I have for you, and I appreciate your time as always. Uh, how does all this, the realignment of the Big Ten and chasing Notre Dame and what's going on in the SEC, how does this affect the name, image, and likeness generation and what that rule means going forward with all the influx of cash that is coming from these conglomerates now as conferences?
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question because I think, you know, obviously they've already attracted a lot of attention from Congress and also, you know, the collegiate model from the justice system and Supreme Court. So people are paying attention and they're seeing the astronomical dollar figures and seeing, you know, that these athletes are still not uh, employees and they're not, they're not making salaries, they're not making hourly wages. So I think people in general are, feel better about the fact that they can capitalize on their likeness. But I don't think that stops the push. There's, there's different lawsuits making their way through the system. Related to you know again athletes being employees, I think a lot of people on campuses are are you know thinking and preparing for a world where eventually you have employee employer relationships, Um, but that that's going to end up coming again either from a, a court ruling or congressional laws you know or something from maybe, again, Congress is a little iffy. I mean, obviously, there's bipartisan support for doing something in the college space, but like, you know, the Republican side is more interested in like a narrow NIL law, if anything, and then the Democrats there's more like healthcare piece. So that's that's a little bit murkier, but Mm -hmm. like college sports is going to have, someone's going to have to decide it for them. I mean, you know, that's how change happens. And the Alston ruling and the legal environment that college sports have been in for the last year is very different. And I think that that's where, you know, we're going to see some some people challenge some stuff in that legal environment and see where it goes. But I, I don't think that, you know, obviously, adding across the country and the amount of travel that's going to happen for Olympic sports is not a good look for an enterprise that is under scrutiny like this. But I think that um, it doesn't affect, you know, obviously, everyone will NIL opportunities, they'll be able to do this stuff, there will still be these pushes. And challenges about eventually, you know, an employee-employer relationship. But, you know, again, I I just think what it does is, if the bullseye had lessened somehow, it's back because again, we're we're about to see how much money the Big Ten is signing its media rights deal for, and now you're going to have these athletes traveling, especially the USC and US UCLA athletes, are going to be traveling all the time, cross-country. Um, so again, it's just it becomes harder and harder to say that it's not professionalized that that this stuff isn't professional, some level of professional sports, when you're asking athletes to do that multi-day trips during the week for like a soccer game or a volleyball game, it's going to be very hard to sell that. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just an optics problem. I mean, this is, this is going to end up. It's
0: an actual logistics problem. (laughs) Yeah,
1: It's a logistics problem. It's, it's, it's an issue that, you know, is going to come up in these cases. I mean, there's just a lot of pieces to that, but just like, you know, the coaches' salaries and the money that has been spent. Um, it is just another feather in the cap for those trying to challenge the system.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. But Nicole, as always, I, I, we get smarter listening to you. We get smarter reading your stuff. You, you're a star for the athletic senior writer. Before we get you up out of here, you know, of course, you know, Spotify's the gang. We got to put together a playlist. I haven't really wanted to know what anybody's been listening to lately that I've interviewed. I want to know what you're listening to. Like old, new, what, what's in rotation right now for Nicole Auerbach? No, 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 no. I, I, see, I see you raise the eyebrows. Is it something that you, uh, that, that you, no. guilty pleasure?
1: It's, well, it's it's not really a guilty pleasure because it's popular, but uh, that, the Harry Styles album is great. And, there you go. Like I, I was not a Harry Styles person, and I can I, there's no skips. I just play it all the way through. It's a great summer album, great rooftop, great driving album. Um, so really like anything from there. Right. Um, but I would probably say like Love of My Life is is my favorite song, but Satellite's amazing. Honestly, I just go I just go top to bottom.
0: Tony, we're about to get a full album review right here. She hit us with the no skips and everything. Look, no Nicole, skips. look at Nicole out here trying to take other people's jobs and music reviews. I appreciate you. Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic joining us here on the Full Goal Podcast. Thank you so much, Nicole. we we'll continue to read and listen to whenever you are available and providing content for us.
1: Thanks for having me. Time for some commercials.
0: Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to the Full Go. With Jason Goff. Hey man. Hey buddy, how you doing? Not too bad, I done. I'm I'm okay. This is Jason Goff from the Full Go Podcast. Uh, may I speak to Jim Murray? Oh yeah, no, that's him. Hello. Hey buddy. Um, yeah. I, I, be- before we're done taping tonight, I just wanted to drop in on you because the Bears traded for someone who I believe plays wide receiver, and out of the <laughs> Arizona State University, the, the tradition, the fame tradition. Arizona State Sun Devils. He he was around your area for a little while. Can you please give me a quick scouting report on Nikhil Harry? Oh, I'd be happy to. He is uh, the worst draft pick ever by Bill Belichick. And that's really saying something because he's taken guys like Ryzai Dowling in the past. He doesn't know how to draft wide receivers. This is the only time that he ever took one of the first round. And it was in a draft, as you know, Jason, in 2019, you had to work so hard to miss on a wide receiver that year. They're all over the place. First round, second round, third round, fourth round, studs all over the place. And he picked the worst possible one. <laughs> so good Good luck, Bears fans. If you like a wide receiver that runs routes like a uh, newborn giraffe, get ready. Because he's going to make Cordero Patterson look like a young Jerry Rice. <laughs> Nikhil, Har- Nikhil Harry sucks. I love you, Jim. <laughs> Anytime pal. Talk to you soon. (laughs) And that's your Bears update on Nikhil Harry, ladies and gentlemen, right here on the Fogo Podcast. (laughs) Yo, you wanna know who's in that draft? (laughs) Who's in that draft? AJ Brown. AJ Brown. Scary Terry. Oh, Terry McLaurin. Debo Samuel. Oh, another good one. All taken after Belichick took Miil Harry, yeah man, I am uh convinced that the bears are like, Hey, justin Fields, <laughs> have at it! <laughs> How dope are you <laughs> boy, boy boy they I, I mean I'm sure Nikhil is a nice young man. I'm not actually sure about any of that, to be honest with you. But if you go to the Patriots and they don't have a use for you, like, who are the players that the Patriots are like, yeah, this guy can't play football, and then just, like, burst onto the scene for someone else? Like, who are those? They've they've, they've taken some guys who weren't very good, or you're like, all right, yeah. But I mean, does Jimmy G count? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I guess. That's like half. That's like half. And also, that was the relationship between Kraft, Brady, and yeah, Belichick. Yeah, I was like a triangle. A triangle. Yeah, a yeah, triangle. Yeah, yeah, rolling out right there for you, right? So, yeah, that, that, that's a different... But I'll give you Jimmy G, right? Jimmy G took a team to... Well, went with a team to the Super Bowl, right? So I'll, I'll give you Jimmy G, but... Yeah. One Super Bowl, two NFC Conference championships. There you go. There you selling, go. High, selling high on Jimmy G for anyone else who wants him. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Bay and their love for bad quarterbacks after Joe Montana. But seriously, I, I, I saw something on Twitter, and I'm going to find it right now, because this, this I, I don't know how you're not telling Justin Fields that you don't like him as a person by acquiring some of the, the, the pass catchers that this team has acquired. Um, I don't know if Nikhil Harry D. What was my name? Uh, Equimani Saint Brown. Uh, I know it's Equinemius, but you know, I'm I'm gonna call him Equimani because it's a dope name, and I should be more respectful. It's Equinemius. My bad, brother. Um, is it Byron Pringle, my man, who got he he already got popped, right? (laughs) He he already got in trouble before he even threw the pads on. (laughs) right? Um, Cole Komet, who we still waiting on to see that Notre Dame thing kind of, you know, that, that second round tight end boy, Adam Shaheen is sitting somewhere like, see, wasn't me, y'all. <laughs> but if, uh, Justin Fields is getting all the love from everybody in the building. Oh, he's working so hard. He's, he's, first one here, last one to leave. Best shape of his life. Every single cliche that you could throw out there. And I'm looking at the dudes that he's getting ready to throw to like what, Nikhil Harry? I don't know what I was expecting, but I damn sure wasn't expecting a transaction and low risk, low reward. I guess seventh round pick for Nikhil Harry. And after Jim Murray's little synopsis there, I'm I'm feeling great about this thing. So yeah, man, training camp fun for the Bears. Get ready for six wins, right? Maybe maybe seven. You know, you feeling seven and 10 ish, six and 11 ish, five and 12 ish. Should I keep going down? Like, are the Bears going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the NFL this year, Tony? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, either, <laughs> either, either that. Resounding Bears enthusiasm from Tony Gill, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, <laughs> just either, jump in with the all oh, yeah. <laughs> either that or. They must believe their offensive system is the uh, greatest thing that human eyes have ever laid eyes upon in American football. Well, Luke Getze, if he's that dude, he's going to get a job here in short order. So then you're going to have Justin Fields on his, what, fourth offensive coordinator in five years or four years, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, man. Bears fans. Nikhil Harry. Big um, plate full of them. This, this, uh, this training camp and... Headed into the season, another Bears dynamite pass catcher. Boy, is this summer rounding into form for Chicago sports fans. Bulls talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. Lives in with a two-handed slam dunk. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Boy, has this been a joyful, uh, happy podcast. From great news with the White Sox and the Cubs and the Bears to even better news with Lonzo Ball and the Bulls. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've been hearing or watching what's being said. But oh, by the way, this is this is the add-on because this is what I was looking for in the last segment where we were talking about the Bears. This is the current Bears wide receiver room. This was tweeted by someone named Ari Myrov. Thank you, Ari, for tweeting this out. You and your 563,000 followers covering the NFL for pro football focus. Damn it, I should know who you are. You're, you're a heavy hitter in this game, right? Current Bears wide receiver room. All right, guys, here we go. Darnell Mooney, Valus Jones Jr., Byron Pringle, Nikhil Harry, Dante Pettis, Tajay Sharp, my main man, Equinemius St. Brown. I took the Saint off. I, I just called him I Brown earlier. David Moore, who got in trouble the other day, I believe. <laughs> Isaiah Coulter and Simba Webster, Daz Newsom Chris Finke, and undrafted rookie Kevin Shea. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the pass catchers, the, the men who have been tasked with the receiving duties when it comes to Justin Fields and this high-powered Bears offense you guys are getting ready to take in this year. Bear I don't know about you. Chicago, Chicago Bears. Bears. And all the play the way to victory. Down, Chicago Bear, And everybody, everybody, Yeah, all right, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. <sighs> On to more um, depressing news. So Casey Johnson, who works for NBC Sports Chicago, venerable scribe for NBCSportsChicago.com, former Tribune, Chicago Bulls beat writer, Bulls historian. This dude is going to be on the Mount Olympus of, of, of Chicago Bulls writers and, and, and covers and observers in the city's history. I love KC. He's an Evanston Township High School guy as well. So, you know, they only put out the best over there at Evanston. So I hear. He tweeted this today. Our tourist car shows Speaking on NBA TV during the Bulls Raptors broadcast said Lonzo Ball is, quote, progressing, but probably, quote, not at the speed he would like, unquote. Said the Bulls, quote, hope, unquote, he's ready for training camp. I'm going to tell y'all something right now, right damn now. This thing is getting closer and closer to not just uh uh-oh territory, but I'm worried territory long term a bone bruise, and that's what that's what we thought the diagnosis was and of course you go in there and do a cleanup and Lonzo Ball was supposed to be on a a a, a month a, a six week schedule when the injury happened. How long has it been since Lonzo Ball last played a basketball game like if one of y'all could look that up for me jesse or or, or Tony. What was the date of the last game that Lonzo Ball played? Because his dad went on David Kaplan's show here in the city and said, hey, everything's fine. We're working. He's going to be fine, ready for the regular season. I know his dad is his biggest cheerleader, right? His biggest support system, as he should be. But we heard at the draft, on draft night, from Mark Eversley, that if he had to suit up, probably wouldn't happen. The last time Lonzo Ball played basketball in an official capacity was January 14th, 2022. This pod will be hitting your ears on July 13th, 2022. It's half a year. It's been six months. And we're still talking like this about Lonzo Ball's knee? Because you remember, the year before, it was about Zach and COVID, and they went 3-8 and eight in those last 11 games down the stretch, and that's why they didn't make the playoffs with Vooch. And then last year, it was Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso and all the injuries and the reason why this team struggled defensively. If, if Goran Dragic and I would assume we're going to have bigger roles than we first thought, then we got to figure that out now as Bulls fans because this team needs Lonzo Ball. They need him not only as a defender, they need him as a ball pusher, a ball mover, and they need his shooting as a spot-up three-point shooter, as a catch-and-shoot guy. They need it. The reason why Vucevic and his threes were so important last year because they don't have too many guys who can knock down three-point shots consistently. Lonzo Ball is one of those dudes. He's one of the, I'd say, four most important bulls going into this season. You got DeMar, you got Zach, you got Patrick Williams, and you got Lonzo Ball. <laughs> one of those guys got $200 million. The other guy is DeMar DeRozan, and the other two guys are question marks. And Lonzo Ball, before this, has had trouble playing 70-plus games in an NBA season. So if this is something that you're going to have to worry about every single year throughout the duration of this deal, I take note of it if I'm a Bulls fan. Keep your eyes on the next couple of weeks and what's being said by the powers that be, the people that matter, Billy Donovan, Arturis Karnachovis, and, of course, Mark Everson. This thing ain't sizing up the way that you want it to as a Bulls fan. And the longer we wait and the longer like I'm getting getting real Kevin White vibes out here in terms of checking in on an injury and hearing something about an injury and not seeing the player progress the way you want with said injury. Bulls Bulls fans, I know how gun shy you are when it comes to point guards and knees in this city. But this season and their trajectory, their their organizational arc depends a lot on a couple of sets of needs. And it's Zach Levine and it's Lonzo Ball. Zach Levine went in for a cleanup, feeling like everything should be cool. When we're talking about this during the offseason, that means there's still rehab being done. That means you're not getting better. You're trying to get back. It's a big difference. It's a big difference, getting better, not having an injury, working on your game, adjusting to your teammates, getting runs in with guys. That's a lot different than doing pool work, and doing road work, and doing treadmill work, and doing, you know, plyometrics work, and doing all the other things that you have to do, not only to stay limber, but to make sure that a procedure that just happened, you know, is, is going the right way. And it doesn't sound like it's going the way that the Bulls or Alonzo Ball would like for it to go. So Ayo DeSumo, Goran Dragic, if you're going to have elevated roles, this team changes. This team changes a lot. We saw last year at the end of the year when coming kind of, you was know, swimming in some deep waters. He had a terrific rookie year. Don't get me wrong. But there were times and there were certain instances where, yeah, he looked like a rookie. There's going to be times this year where he looks like a second-year player. But you want to treat him like a backup quarterback, right? You want to make sure that you can get in and out a quarter or two, maybe play a week but you don't want to have Ayo Sumu. I mean, maybe you do, but you didn't plan on having Ayo Sumu play a boatload of games at that position and, and hell, starting at that position. Not saying that that's what's going to happen with Lonzo Ball's knee right now, but this is another one of those those points of demarcation that we arrived at, another one of those dates where it's like, okay, asking you again, how's this guy doing? And you're getting answers that are uh, not, not the best. Let's just put it like that. So if Lonzo Ball is still in any kind of pain or discomfort with that knee, or if there have been setbacks, there's something that Bulls fans need to keep an eye on. Because t- next year, you can mess around. I mean, you, you were sixth. You slid from first to sixth after Lonzo Ball was noticeably out of the lineup this year, the East is better than it was last year. So if you're going into it without one of your main cogs, or if one of your main cogs is so hurt that you've got Arturis Chauvis and Mark Eversley, who are not going to lie to the media, have asked good questions. And when asked good questions, they got to tell you the truth about what's going on with his knee. And it doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good. So Something for Bulls fans to keep an eye on while you're getting all jazzed up about the summer league and watching Marco Simonovich body dudes who will be pumping gas next month. Let's 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 keep the focus here. Dalen Terry, Marco Simonovich, those guys might not matter a lot this year. The guys that you don't want to matter too much are Io DeSumo and Goran Dragic, and that's no knock on either one of them. But you're paying one guy, and you did pay one guy seventy plus million dollars to run point guard for the next few years and to do it at a high level. And we saw him do it for half a year. And then January rolled around. And we're sitting here in July and we're still talking about this. Can't be good. Can't feel good. It certainly doesn't look good right now. Hey, by the way, congratulations to Duncan Keith. Uh, second longest-tenured Chicago Blackhawk. I know he retired as an Edmonton Oiler, but second longest-tenured Chicago Blackhawk, second most games played in franchise history. Uh, Norris Trophy winner, Conn Smythe winner, one of the greatest defensemen the the organization has ever seen. Um, I can't wait until (laughs) that Blackhawks run gets uh, 30 for 30 or some investigative journalism done, and we've already seen a lot of it, unfortunately. Play out with um, the the passing of members of that organization. Um, some of the uh, nefarious, shall we say, uh, things that may have happened that did happen. Um, uh, it's just you know the Kyle Beach situation. Um, yeah, that that entire championship run. It was marred at the end with a lot of the things that came out that was happening during the run but during that run Duncan Keith was a star rock star an absolute superstar player um as fast as any player as fast as any defenseman with the puck during his prime uh terrific passer you know considered a damn good defenseman but was definitely good enough offensively to uh be considered one of the better players in all of hockey when he was at the top of his game uh when Duncan Keith was shipped off you kind of kind of felt like okay this is the This is the building blocks of uh, of a generation, and of an era of of Blackhawk hockey that were beginning to erode. And now you've got guys like Patrick Kaner on the phone. (laughs) I ain't get me the fuck out of here. (laughs) I ain't playing with these kids. (laughs) But but seriously, though, man, uh, it was was fun to watch Duncan Keith. Um, It was even more fun to hear him uh, at the parade, bent, you know, three different times, (laughs) enjoying himself. Uh, only the way that hockey players can. So shout out to number two in his terrific career. Uh, I hope whatever he has planned in his post-hockey career, I, I hope he fulfills all those dreams and wishes. Uh, the dude was an absolute, absolute stud on the ice. Um, always moving. It, 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 I, he was he was legendary for like the amount of weight he would lose throughout a, a season, like how hard he would go, how, what he would put his body through. And how many minutes he would play? How, the, the the elongated shifts, especially in the postseason, and any time that you you wanted a shift that was worth you know a, a championship effort, especially during that run, the three three <laughs> cups in what five or six years, Duncan Keith was on the ice along with Jonathan Taves, along with Patrick Kane. You throwing, you know your Dustin Bufflins, your Andrew Lads. I, obviously, the names changed throughout the years, but the the Star Wars were Kane, Taves, and of course, Duncan Keith. So shout out to him for a terrific career and the joy that he brought a lot of Chicagoans and a lot of Chicago Blackhawks fans. And speaking of shouts out uh, and joy that people bring, uh, I got the news today uh, via a mutual friend that an an all-time legend in this city uh, is fighting a fight that is all too familiar to us, um, all over the world, obviously. Uh, cancer is a motherfucker. It, it, it took, uh, three of my four grandparents. Um, if you're listening to this, I'm sure it has touched somebody in your life. Um, Lynn Bramer, uh, the famous Lynn Bramer from WXRT, of morning fame of just radio fame. Uh one of the better guys that I've had a chance to run into in this business, we we shared space with WXRT. Uh and, and I got a chance to share a zone, share laughs, share uh good times, share bad times. But the bad times never really seemed so bad because Lynn always had a good word. He always looked tired because he was doing the morning show and then he would, you know, have six or seven events planned throughout the day. Uh but Lynn Bramer is fighting a a prostate cancer battle right now, and he has had to take a leave of absence from the airwaves. And not only will we miss him on the airwaves, but I'm sure a lot of people will miss his spirit and his his nature, which is always feeling good, feeling vibes, and spreading good words and good love. Um, Lynn, we're thinking about you, man. Uh, we're going to miss all the lens bins. Uh, you and Mary Dixon are two of my favorite people in the entire world. So when that crew was split up, I was sad and I was sad for your listeners, but you've kept it going. You are a radio legend and you are a legend in in terms of Chicagoans, uh, and people in this city. So, um, throughout all this, throughout the fight, throughout whatever you got to go through medically, um, know that you got a lot of people out there who love you and who and who have your back. And we will be continuing to fight for you uh, and fight alongside of you along the way. So to Lynn Bramer and my 93XRT family, uh, much love to you, as always. It's the full That's all the time we have for episode 125 of the Full gold Podcast. Brought to you by The Ringer, of course. Spotify is the gang. Want to thank our guest, Nicole Auerbach, senior writer from The Athletic. She dropped a whole bunch of knowledge on us about college football and what's happening with the Big Ten and what's next for the NCAA and Notre Dame, maybe. So make sure you check out all of her stuff on The Athletic or wherever she's talking when she's doing her talking. She's terrific at it. She's outstanding. And she gave you the Harry Styles album you know, review which was major. So shout out to Nicole. Looking forward to talking to her again in the near future. As always, we wanna thank our production staff, the shadowy figure known as Steve I wanna thank my main man, Tony Gill, and of course the active Jesse Lopez. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, the voicemail line is always open for you. The Full goal voicemail line is 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. So for the fellas, I'm Jason Goff. Thank you so much for listening to this thing, downloading this thing, subscribing to it, right? Make sure you punch that subscribe button. And Make sure you rate and review us. Whatever nasty things or great things you have to say about us, make sure you rate and review us and making sure that you're sharing it with your friends and family. I truly appreciate everything you do for this pod. For the fellas, I'm Jason. Thanking you so much for listening to us once again. As always, make sure you guys are out there taking care of each other and make sure, please, please, the summer has only got about a month or so left. Be safe. Enjoy the rest of your summer, right? If you're watching White Sox baseball, go do something else every once in a while, but be safe and we'll talk to y'all on when will we talk to them. When will we talk to them guys. Sometime next week. Sometime next week cuz guess what? I'm going on vacation again. All right? So make sure you stay tuned to the feed. We'll be updating you guys promptly. Y'all take care.